Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to AMBETS Radio. At AMBETS Radio, we're dedicated to providing the who, what, where, when, and why of everything AMBETS nationwide. For over 50 shows now, AMBETS Radio not only educates, but tries to inspire all veterans serving veterans with interviews that are not only thought-provoking, but through humor, decades of wisdom, lots of great stories, and of course, information about AMBETS. It's our goal at AMBETS Radio that after hearing this show, you'll walk away different than you arrived. We thank you for taking the time to listen to AMBETS Radio. And for more information, including upcoming shows or previous ones, visit AMBETSRadio.com. Now sit back and relax, buckle up and get ready, because the AMBETS Radio train is about to leave the station. Well, you've got to love technology. You know, it isn't every day that you can start a show in complete silence and wonder why things don't turn out the way they're supposed to. Welcome to Amp as Radio.
Well, one thing's for sure. A lot of us are sick, so I don't know about feeling good, but I can tell you one thing is for certain. Ambit's radio is a lot like Rocky. We get knocked down, we get knocked down, but, you know, they begin to chant, Ambit's radio, Ambit's radio. Checks begin to come in, and guess what? We are back up and running again. And I got to tell you, it is a privilege to have this show. And that's radio show number 79, Transitioning Veterans number two. You know, it's amazing how we start these conversations and never know where they're going to go. But one thing is for sure, and that is we are dedicated to bringing you the most up-to-date information about AMVETS, including the who, what, where, when, and why. The show is brought to you by the following AMVETS and different organizations. AMBETS Georgia, AMBETS Florida, AMBETS California, AMBETS Arkansas, AMBETS Tennessee, AMBETS Tennessee Post 45, AMBETS Tennessee Post 1776 out in Nashville. By the way, Ron, happy birthday. So after we do our national anthem, we are going to sing you happy birthday. We'll get everyone on the phone and we'll all sing to you. Elks Lodge, number 1944, Tri-Cities Military Affairs Council, Veterans Web Design, and of course, Painters Dream Productions. Allow me to bring on my co-host, who is also under the weather. Alex, how you doing, sir? Well, Perry, I mean, at least the fever broke last night, but... uh you know, as as you said, uh, we get knocked down and everything, but can't keep Amvets Radio down, can we, Perry? No, heck no. <laughs> Not as far as I'm concerned. But again, it's none of my business. You know that. It's always God's business. I just kind of, I just fill in the hole, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, we have got an amazing show tonight. We have our guests on from last week. We also have an old friend of the radio show that is actually going to come on. It's Miss Sheila Scarborough, and uh, we're going to have her on tonight. But before we get started, why don't we go ahead and have our national anthem, and then uh, we will bring Vanessa on, we will bring uh, Carol on, we will bring uh, Dan Koob on, and we will bring whoever else is on, and we will sing happy birthday to Ron Bottomley at uh, Post-1776. So, if you don't mind, please stand.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Amvets Radio. For more information about Amvets Radio, you can visit our website and our Facebook page, amvetsradio.com. Search for Amvets Radio, and I have every single one of your guys' mics on. We are going to do a roll call, and then we will sing happy birthday. doesn't matter how good or bad your voices are. It's the effort, and it's going to go to Ron Bottomley. Let's start with Antoine. You there, brother? Yes, sir. Wonderful. Sheila, are you there? Okay. No Sheila. Orlando. No Orlando. Dan. Dan Coob. I'm here, Perry. Okay, we got Dan Alex. I'm here, brother. Carol? Good evening, Perry. Vanessa? I'm here, Perry. Okay, we got a 270 area code phone number calling. Who's there? Starts with 270929. Your mic is on. Please introduce yourself because you're going to sing happy birthday to Ron, whether you like it or not. (laughs) Okay, well, they're being quiet, so whoever that is is going back on mute. All right, on the count of three, everybody, we're going to sing happy birthday to Ron. One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Ron. Happy birthday to you. You see, and even with delays, that's not bad. I mean, it could have been much worse. Would you agree? Oh, always. Well, guys, I'd love to welcome you back to Anvets Radio Show number 79 tonight. We're going to continue our topic on transitioning veterans. I know that uh, in talking to, I was talking back and forth messaging with Sheila, or I'm sorry, with uh, with Sherman, and he was a bit concerned because he thought the males spoke more than the females. So, Vanessa, this is on you tonight, dear. So Uh-oh. we want to make sure that, that everybody's heard. <laughs> Uh, I am waiting for Sherman to come on as well as Sheila. Uh, Antoine, did you get a hold of her? Uh, yes, uh, I'm sending her the number right now. Perfect, because yeah, we want to include her too. Because because there there have been mm-hmm. a lot of comments regarding this show, and uh, there's a lot of things we've not talked about. Obviously, we spent one of the first parts of our show talking about job opportunities and resumes and how to present yourself. Uh, One of the things which we have not talked about is the homeless situation, which I know, Alex, we've discussed before, but I know we can get into that. I know there's also an issue regarding with uh, drug and alcohol abuse and how to deal with that and their transitions. And so we've got a lot to talk about tonight, a lot to talk about tonight. I've got a couple PSAs I want to run. As of right now, we've got an hour and 45 minutes left. So, Vanessa, why don't we start with you? And was there anything in the last couple of conversations that we've not discussed that you could think of that you wanted to talk about tonight? Well, um, Perry, I can't think of anything specific other than um, the resumes. I know I went to the website, attempted to um, apply and register for help, um, but it didn't allow me to because I didn't have a pre-made resume to to plug into it. And I know we talked about resumes, but there's got to be a resource for folks that 
need someone to sit down with them to go through that process in order to apply for the help. Yes, sir. Did you have any comments or thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I couldn't say it any better. Uh, you know, I, I agree 100%. You, you know, speaking from the the Army standpoint, you have what's called the uh, the TAP, Transition Assistance Program. And, you know, this is just my opinion. And, of course, everybody's got an opinion. But I, I truly feel that some military posts go above and beyond. And I... I truly feel that other posts that it's a check mark. So, you know, the audience tonight can can take that for whatever it's worth, but uh you, you definitely have some posts that go above and beyond and really sit down and and try to compare the uh or not compare but translate, you know, military uh terms to civilian uh wording, we'll call it, uh which I know Alex and I had a pretty funny conversation last week about that, but, uh, you know, again, I, I, I truly believe that there's some posts that go above and beyond and some other ones that don't. And, you know, whoever the, uh, the ones that don't, then, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like that old saying that, you know, if the shoe fits, wear it. One of the things with mentioned was that she tried to go to the TM veterans website and she said she tried to fill out the form but because she didn't have a resume, she did, she said it didn't go through. Did you get an error message or not? Did not. No, I'm talking to uh, Vanessa. Did you get an uh, error I got message? A, I, got a notification that I, I got a notification that I needed to download a resume. Okay. And you didn't have one, in other words? No. No. And, so what and we need the, to do the, is... one, the one that right, I did have, I don't have access to. You know, um, but it's it's neither here nor there. It, I just thought that if if someone were to be in the same situation that I'm I'm in and make that attempt, then is there uh, advice that we can give people? You know, and like with with the term TAPS, um, until I got involved with NVETS and everything, I didn't know that term. I processed out in 95, uh, there was no transition class anything, nothing. Like you said, Carol, it was a, you know, you take these papers check and you mark. go here, here, here on post and they check the box because you checked, you know, you showed up and they considered you cleared. Um, well, that doesn't do very well for figuring out, you know, how do you get acclimated into the, back into the civilian world? Agree. Uh, one thing, uh, I, I guess I just misunderstood that it, it was my website that you were going to that uh, that you were having trouble. So, uh, you know, you, I've got uh, some notes right here already wrote down. And, you know, honestly, if somebody doesn't have a resume, then what I need to do is point them to the contact information, uh, the contact tab page, whatever you want to call it. And uh, they can fill that information out. And, of course, I'll definitely get a message and then a text message on that. And then I can get a hold of them directly, and you know we can speak about resumes. So uh, never thought of that. One of the uh, great catch. one of the and, things, uh, Carol, that one of the things that's actually on your form is a required field to attach your resume. We need to change right. that. Is remove the required so that she doesn't see. Because again, that has that ever been brought up before? Have you had that never. issue before? Well, no. 
that's just because she's but an MS course, right, Ken? You know, but excellent. Thank you. Uh, I assure you, Vanessa, that by later tonight, that will be changed so that you can go ahead and submit it. Thank you for catching that. Oh, you're welcome. That's why you are who you are, right? I mean, that's what you do. <laughs> Let me now halt for one second because we have got some more callers coming in. Let me go ahead and bring them on. Sherman, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How about you? Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. We started tonight's show with uh, James Brown living in America, and uh, we uh, went into the discussion of talking about some of the things which we've not talked about. Let me go ahead. We got Sheila on, too. Is Sheila back? Miss Sheila, are you there? Uh-oh, here we go again. Well, I've got her mic on. And we've got 202, let's see, okay, here's, we got Antoine back, and that course 929 phone number is still there. But, uh, okay, uh, now, Sherman, uh, one of the things which I also mentioned in the beginning of the show was that uh, your comment to me about how uh, you wanted to hear some more perspectives from our ladies, so I told them in advance to be prepared for that. So uh, and uh, asked Vanessa if there was anything that was on her mind that she wanted to talk about that she was not able to, and she said there really hasn't been any. But if there is anything that you wanted to uh, that maybe you thought about after the fact that you wanted to talk about, we can start there and then we'll let them go first. Sure. Uh, well, the first thing I won't do is ever pretend that I can speak for a woman veteran. Um, so any thoughts I have are merely observations. My wife is a uh, veteran of the Afghanistan war. Um, I have uh, lots of friends and acquaintances who were, who are women veterans who transitioned out, out of the military. And um, in fact, one, one quite recently, and I got to watch her go through the process of uh, filing a claim for military sexual trauma and how it was very heartbreaking for me to, to have to ask her questions that I knew had to be asked. But, but I helped her get through it, um, and of course, because I'm close to her, I could do that. But I often wonder, you know, if, I, if she didn't have me to help sort of, uh, you know, navigate these waters here that she really didn't want to have to navigate, uh, who would do that? You know, would she be able to walk into a, a veteran service organization, uh, or which is typically male? There are a lot of women veterans and, and uh, who become service officers, but in my experience, it's been mostly men. Um, but how do we how do we have these these veterans do that? Um, given the toll it takes to have to relive a lot of this stuff. So, and I know that's not the experience of all women. I'm not saying that. And there are men who go through the same thing, but, uh, but it's, it's been my experience that women have to um, navigate things a little bit differently than males. Um, in, in, in many cases that I've worked with, um, you know, the woman had a family and, or was trying to regain her status as a mom in a house where dad or grandma was taking care of the kids while she was on deployment. So there are those dynamics there that uh, that are unique to uh, the women veterans I've encountered, and I just wondered what uh, Vanessa and anyone else who had to walk that walk, you know, what what that's been like. Um, and maybe they didn't see it as anything different because they're just going through it. But I just wonder if if there are any thoughts that uh, that are unique to that population that we need to be more aware of. Sherman, I can I can speak from my experience on that for. Um about 20 years, the fact that I was a veteran was ignored. 
after I got out, I was a dependent spouse, going on to military bases, getting the medical care at the military hospital. It was not acknowledged that I was a veteran, that I was a veteran dealing with PTSD from MST. No one ever mentioned anything about filing a claim until I became involved with AMBET. And then um, since that, since I became involved with AMBET, um, it, it took uh, – counseling and and a, a lot of support to even start the process it's been a little over a year and a half now um i'm just now on the the eve of going in for the cmp evaluation for the mst um it's not been an easy process and like you said trying to have those those conversations with someone that you're not so sure about having those conversations with, it it doesn't happen um, easily, if at all. Right. And, and what happens is these women veterans, in many cases, it's not just MST they're confronting. They also serve uh, under fire or in tough conditions. Right. Uh, and And so there's that on top of, the experience that seems to happen more to women than any than than uh, than men, although uh, you know per capita men it, they experience MST more than women just on the raw numbers, but the rate of MST happens to be much higher among women. Um, in fact, this gives me an opportunity to bring up a recent bill that AMVET supports. It's called the Violence Against Women Veterans Act. It's HR six eight six nine, and it's intended to. Uh, it calls for better integration of medical, housing, and mental health services that the VA provides, um, and, and the idea is to uh, integrate those services with community-based domestic violence and sexual assault services so that there's a, a net of support that starts with the DOD, uh, comes through VA, and then attaches itself at the community level for, uh, for victims of domestic violence, which happens to be another one of those things that happens to men and women, however it to women in greater numbers and uh and so we i want to make sure that our listeners uh hear about hr 6869 and read up on it and find a way to get your congressional representatives to uh to support this bill i think it's a pretty important piece of legislation that's way overdue thoughts anyone oh we're here Well, I think that bill is actually vital portion of what it takes to getting back on track with integrating our veterans back into society and also making mm -hmm. sure that they're treated with fairness and treated with dignity when it comes to their mental health and their medical treatment. A lot of times these right. days you'll see female veterans especially being treated with more than inadequate dignity when it comes to our mental health care system. When when female veterans now, I, I've, I've never been a female veteran in a uh, mental health care facility, but I have been in mental health care facilities with female veterans. And what you'll see is, is they are not provided adequate undergarments due to the fact that they have underwire or that they have elasticity to them. So you have female veterans, you know, in collective gathering areas and common rooms with male veterans who are provided, you know, no form 
of undergarment to, to kind of, you know, give them that sense of adequacy. And I mean, mm-hmm. Sherman, you brought that up several times before. I mean, if you'd like to further elaborate on that, I would, I would appreciate it. But well, I, I I'll think this bill could go a long way. Yeah, well, you know, the bill focuses on domestic violence, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But it, it, yeah, as someone who has gone through uh, specialized services, in my case, the Spinal Cord Injury Center, you know, it's amazing the things you see happen. Um, there are women who are amputees. There are women who become paralyzed. There are women who suffer combat injuries. And you know what? When medical care has to uh, address the losses, uh, in one case, uh, a young woman had a, an amputated arm from an IED blast. The prosthetics, they don't make those for women typically. They fit no. women a different way. And, and, and in some cases, these are young women who at some point plan to get pregnant and can get pregnant. But then you've got to deal with a wheelchair that's an inadequate fit. Uh, and the time it takes to get a new one is often too long to uh, be, be appropriate for a woman whose body is changing and uh, enduring a pregnancy while dealing with an injury like that. Um, and all they need is a you know a chair that's adapted to their their changing bodies, but they don't exist in many cases, or they're hard to find. So there's a there's a unique journey that women veterans take along a lot of dimensions, and and one of them that stark to me is when they require just as much therapy uh, and and prosthetic support, and it just doesn't seem to be this this notion that women will ever need this, so they don't have them available until you become that squeaky wheel. Um, so that's one area I think that the VA and the DOD could do a lot better in, in terms of uh, keeping women in mind when you think about all these things you have for uh, wounded veterans. Um, men come in all types of shapes and sizes. Some men are heavier than others. Some are skinny. You know, so why can't women have that that same level of customization uh, in, in those realms? So that that's one observation I've had over the years that I've seen a little progress, but there's still a ways to go with that. Now, you know, it's funny violence, that you. Yeah, go ahead. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the the prosthetics and the wheelchairs. When I was at Walter Reed, there was a young female who had lost uh, her right leg, and she was up there with me. And the wheelchair that they had given her, as you mentioned, they don't have many adaptive wheelchairs for designed for females. And she was unable to push herself due to the wide wheelbase and in, in an adequate manner. She literally had to have someone push her around in the wheelchair, which further diminished herself of ind- her, her sense of independence. I mean, you're already losing so much independence going into that state. Mm-hmm. It was just one more push above that edge. Yeah, well, in that case, it might have been um, the case where they gave her a loaner wheelchair. You don't get your customized chair until you've been there a while, and they could assess, um, you know, what kind of cushion you need, backrest. A lot goes into picking a wheelchair. A lot of people don't know that. Um <laughs> <laughs> so in that case, you know, I, I think all of us at, at the at the newest uh, stage of injury, we get stuck with these big, you know, we call them grand grand people chair, grand person chair, or you know, somebody yeah. who's elderly that needs a sort of airport chair uh, until we get our customized chair. So I hope that was a case with her, and she was merely waiting for a more customized model, uh, which which they should expect whenever somebody goes to Walter Reed or, or one of the VA hospitals. Uh, but but I'm talking about things like. Um, when you attach an arm, there's usually a uh, kind of a, a, a strap feature that comes across your chest so that it, your, your strong shoulder can take some of the weight Support off, the, weight. off the, uh, the, the weaker arm. But women have breasts, you know, and, and when you have that strap come across a, a different way than it would a man, it's not a comfortable fit. And it's not conducive to being, like you said, being independent and having that prosthetic work for you. 
In this case, it works against the woman unless they come up with a way to make the harness in a manner that, that will uh, accommodate the different shape of a woman's body. Um, and things like prosthetic limbs and all that, all those things become issues. And so um, it was funny because after the Boston bombing, uh, there, not, it wasn't funny. I don't put it like that, but it was it was something to see after the Boston bombing, how many women were injured, young women. And there was a, a, a big effort to create prosthetic limbs that um, that were aesthetically appealing to the woman that, that was as close to having an original leg as possible. And a lot of care was put into making those prosthetic limbs, um, you know, ideal for, you know, a young woman who wants to look good in an evening dress and things like that. Um, so I saw that, but, I, but it was only when that happened that I began to see this, this sensitivity toward, um, you know, accommodating women and their needs just to the same degree that, that uh, male veterans get accommodated. Now, Sherman, you, you had talked about this bill and the domestic violence issues with that. Um, one thing I don't think we've ever talked about on this show, and I, I, I would hope that you have the numbers. If you don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot. What are the rates that women are abused within mental health care facilities when they're placed with fellow men and stuff like that? I mean, I feel like that's something we skipped over in MST statistics as well. Well, that's a, that'd be a pretty good uh thing to look into. Um, I don't hear about a lot of, I have heard about attacks that have happened to women and there's, um, there is a, a benefits process that addresses that particular uh, issue. If it happens, uh, you can file a claim under uh, section 1151 of, of title 38, where you're, you're compensated. If you're, if you're mentally affected by an attack like that, it's, it's similar to medical malpractice. If you get attacked and you're the patient, and some some nurse or some patient attacks you or sexually assaults you. Uh, first of all, the person needs to be arrested and put in jail. But but there are uh, there is redress that's available for any victim of sexual assault in a hospital. Um, it has been my experience that a lot of that has happened, although I have heard this. But uh, but it's it's pretty secure in a VA hospital, and and there is great care taken to assign women to individual rooms or a room with another woman veteran. Uh, and, and security processes enacted uh, to ensure that doesn't happen. Um, so I'd be surprised if that number is very high. Um, I will say, though, that uh, women veterans suffer at a rate uh, of a third higher uh, suffer domestic violence at, at one-third higher rate than non-veteran women. So for some reason, if you're a woman veteran uh, compared against a, a non veteran woman, their chances are one third higher that a woman veteran will be a victim of domestic violence. Um, so, so that's just a statistic, a statistic that we keep in mind. Uh, it's also the case that women are 1.8 times at greater risk of committing suicide than non-veteran women. So I think they go hand in hand to a certain extent. It kind of tells me that women uh, put up with a lot more than, than most men do when they get out, even if they have honorable service and all the things that should come with that. We have a ways to go with uh, not only recognizing active duty women, but also women veterans who, who get out and, and appear to put up with a lot if these statistics uh, are accurate, which I believe they are. That's absolutely appalling to hear, and it's a shame that uh, stuff like that goes on in our society, but it's gl I'm glad to hear that 
us at AMVETS and AMVETS National is taking that into the forefront and is trying to do its best to address that. Well, I'm glad to be a part of that effort. I've got a sister who served in the Marine Corps. I've got a close first cousin who's a career uh, Air Force service member. Uh, she hadn't got out, gotten out yet. Um, so it's in our family, and, and we just we just want to see our, our sisters in arms treated much better than they've been treated uh, in many cases um, and, and see them more prominent. Uh, I know Vets, uh, the AMVETS commander has made it clear that he wants to see women veterans in leadership. Uh, in our organization, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna do all we can to make sure that happens on his watch. It should have been done a long time ago, but we're gonna push until we see more women veterans given opportunities to uh, lead organizations like AMVETS and, and other parts of society where their potential is untapped and needs to be tapped. And and that's absolutely true. We definitely need that. But you know, there is that unfortunate you know instance. Now I'm not saying all AMVETS posts are like this, but you'll see a lot of ostracized, uh, ostracizing within the veteran community of our female vets. And you know, I think that's something that AMVETS is leading with. And you're seeing a lot more with veteran service organizations. I mean, the American Legions had their first national female commander, VFW uh, as well. Many of these veteran service organizations are starting to make that shift, and it's something that I'm glad to see, and I'm glad to see that AMVETS is being a part of that as well. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, one of the things I have seen, though, is more women veterans are being assertive, um, you know, taking ownership of their of their potential and, and, and making uh, our society recognize what, what they have to offer. Um, they do it in the military already. I'm seeing every, it seems like every few months I hear about some woman who cracked through another barrier um, in the military, whether it was reaching a rank, getting a certain job, leading a, you know, a combat battalion. We're seeing a lot of that. In fact, I saw a young woman who was the first, um, whatever the class commander is at West Point, this young lady was the first one. Uh, very, very dignified young woman, um, and I'm proud every time I see that because it means we're moving in the right direction, and uh, and hopefully we'll see, you know, maybe our first woman Secretary of Veterans Affairs or Secretary of Defense at some point. Um, I, I think the arc is going in that direction, so I hope to be alive to see it and certainly be a part of it if we can if we can do anything uh, to make that happen sooner rather than later. Add the, uh, the lady that uh, just graduated from uh, Ranger School, the first uh, you know female that uh, that graduated from uh, from the Ranger and you know got her tab. I mean that's an absolutely uh, incredible accomplishment. She was the first uh, enlisted female to go through. We had the first females. They actually were two cadets from West Point uh, a couple years ago. They were the first females to go through the course and receive their tabs. And now we just recently had the first uh, female enlisted soldier to go through the Ranger course. And it, you know, it, it, it is something quite remarkable to see. And right. I'm glad like to see it in my lifetime. So, so, Vanessa, how does that kind of news hit you when you hear about stuff like that? Does it, does it kind of irk you that it took so long? Or, or what are your thoughts when you hear about these, um, these breakthroughs? Uh, it, it, brings a sense of pride to be a female veteran um, and know that I at one point stood in a place to help pave the way for that as well as all of my sister veterans that have helped to pave the way for these these women to 
be active duty and to be able to achieve the achievements that they've achieved. It it, it really speaks that all the stuff that we went through and all the, the fights and challenges that we had to have just to say that we had the right to serve um, was not and not. Mm-hmm. It's a sense of validation, I think, for, for women uh, in the military. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. Sure. Hey, this is uh, Carol. I got something uh, that you know, it goes along those lines, and it, it's kind of a funny story, and I'll keep it as short as I can. But in Korea, uh, when I served over there, 2ID at Camp Casey, uh, first sergeant pulled this. Uh, it, it was a new person that joined our uh, our uh, company, and she was a female. And we were having a PT test that morning, and I'll never forget it. He pulled her up there, and he said, "Is there anybody that thinks that they can outrun her? And if you do," I'll give you a four-day pass. Well, of course, I hear four-day pass, and, you know, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? I can get beat. Uh, no big deal. So I stepped forward. There's probably about 10 of us that stepped forward, and I actually ran the fastest two miles that I ever did in the uh, the military. I ran it, I want to say it was like 1220, something like that. I crossed the finish line. She was actually over there drinking coffee. And she actually ran, it was a little bit under 10 minutes. And I was actually the NBC NCO. And of course, I'm just sitting there going, you know, we, we, we got set up. That's all there is to it. So later on that day, I actually went in and, you know, said permission to speak freely for Sarden. And he said, yes. And I said, what was all that about? And he goes, oh, she was in my last unit. She was a, she was a specialist, but uh, she was in my last unit, and she left probably about eight months ago, and she's been on the all-army track team since. And, of course, I just smiled and said, you know, roger that, and I moved out. But, uh, yeah, she ran a little bit under 10 minutes, uh, two miles, and, of course, it just smoked everybody. So nobody got a four-day pass. Well, of course, that doesn't surprise me. Um, if you, you know, one, one side to behold is uh, being a – a student, a new student at drill instructor school at Paris Island and uh, finding out that the, uh, the toughest, scariest instructor uh, out of the eight that were assigned to our class was a woman Marine named Gunnery Sergeant. And her last name was actually Sergeant. So when you addressed her, you have to, you had to call her Gunnery Sergeant Sergeant. And I'm going to tell you something. She, um, it wasn't apparent that she was a bodybuilder. I didn't know all this about her. You just look at, you know, somebody in uniform and you assume they're, they're fit. But when she got up there to do pull-ups um, and would run, and, and, and for me it wasn't even about being surprised because I, I'd seen strong women before, but she was a, a born killer. And it, what, what pisses me off when I hear about guys talking about women is I've seen a lot of, of weak men <laughs> Who can't keep up? So why is it, you know, why is it the case that we automatically assume women can't, or we're shocked whenever a woman can? Uh, nowadays, you've got some women that, that have some. We, we call them racks in the Marine Corps, where you've got ribbons, combat action ribbons, purple hearts. They're wearing them. They're walking around with 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 more um, on their proverbial chest in, in terms of the ribbons and the stacks they have than a lot of the guys, especially the ones that are joining now who haven't really been deployed. Um, these women are moving up in rank, and eventually they're the ones that are going to be leading PT uh, formations, battalion formations, and things like that. 
So I think we're well past the time when we're surprised when uh, a woman outperforms a man. It's just a matter of, you know, the, the standards that are set. Um, a lot of men will, will fall out, and so will some women. But it's giving women the opportunity to prove it, uh, just like men, and giving their opportunity to fail or succeed. That's what we owe them now. And, and a lot of them are demanding this, and we're, we're, we're going to have to, at some point, it'll, it won't be uh, such, a, such a big thing to um, have a woman outrun every man in the battalion at some point. Just to add to what you just said, I actually do full-distance Ironmans, and uh, there there's some women that beat half of the pro men. So when it comes to something like that, you know, you're talking about a 2.4 swim, uh, 112 on the bike, and then run a marathon. And I'll be very honest, I started the marathon, and I was probably five miles into it, and the pro women were crossing the finish line, and they only started about, I don't know, 30 minutes ahead of, I, of myself. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's funny that that so many people sit there and say, well, women can't do this. But, uh, you know, when, when you start looking at major sports and things like that, I mean, th- this weekend is, uh, you know, Kona, which is probably the biggest mm-hmm. Ironman race. And you just watch, watch those women. Uh, they are, they're just absolutely incredible. I actually like watching the women feel more than I do the men because they're right. so competitive within them. You know who, uh, you ever heard of Ronda Rousey? Oh yeah. She's the, uh, mar- mixed martial arts. Can you imagine standing across from her at uh, hand-to-hand combat drills? <laughs> no, Alex, I'd be on the call that day. The other end, the receiving end of, of, of that uh, partnership there? No, I'd be on sick call that day. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but this is the era we're in. We're in that era right now. You know, you, 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 you might, you know, mess with the wrong person if you're uh, one of these guys in a bar, to, you know, run up on some woman who's, uh, you know, who's got some combat time and maybe did some MMA herself. Um, in fact, I'd love to see that, for, you know, for some jerk that, that wants to pull that, but um, – in all seriousness, so I think we're at a time now where we, we need to just see the, level, the, the playing field as level, um, get over our, our vulnerabilities and our, our inferiority complexes, you know, in terms of a woman being able to do something better and benefit from it. You know, if, if you, to have a great woman uh, service member on your team is, is healthy. Um, I think it makes you better. The diversity makes you better because women do think differently than men. Uh, I, I think Tactically, uh, when I went to the, the basic school in Quantico, uh, there were some stars in, in terms of uh, battlefield tactics. They could see things that, you know, that, that weren't about pride or weren't about the things that maybe men focus on. They could see or, or the instincts were a, a bit different. So, uh, so when you see that happen in a training environment and then you see women who are uh, um, honored and decorated uh, for having gone through that, that real-life uh, experience, uh, they've arrived. Uh, they've been here a long time, but but we're now seeing across the board that they've arrived, and and we we benefit from a society that elevates everyone who's got ability, not not based on their gender. Strong statement, and I agree. Yep. Hi, Perry. How we doing? She on? Is she on? <laughs> yes. yes. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I just I just kept your mic on long enough. I'm so glad you joined us. How you doing tonight? I'm doing fine. How about everybody else? 
We are on fire. We are. We've we've spent the last three weeks talking about transitioning, and uh, you know I know you've been through because of your experience. Uh, you have a lot to add to this conversation. So uh, take as much time as you need. And if anybody wants to chime in, that's what the show's for. Matter of fact, let me do this really quick. We're an hour and thirteen minutes left on the show. Let me run one PSA. I'm not going to put anyone's mic on hold because I will not lose Sheila no matter what. So if you can just (laughs) mute your microphones real quick so that I can run these PSAs, then we will be right back with AMBETS Radio Show number 79. If you're listening to AMBETS Radio, you're already interested in building the organization. And we all know that the key to our continued growth is getting the Gulf War and later veterans involved. So I want to suggest that you go to communicate with them where they already are. That's right, online. Your post needs a fresh, current web page and a Facebook page to bring them there. Veterans Web Design is just who you need to help get the job done. At Veterans Web Design, their mission is to help veteran service organizations grow and prosper through the use of the Internet. To find out more, visit www.veteranswebdesign.com. The Elks were founded based on the principles of the American flag. The Elks are dedicated to our veterans and our community. We honor our veterans on Memorial Day and on Veterans Day and throughout the year. We also support the Boys and Girls Club and sponsor a Christmas shopping trip to Walmart so the kids can buy presents for themselves and for their families. Thank you very much, and may God bless America. For as long as there are veterans, they will never be forgotten. If you're interested in the Elks, please go to TennesseeElks.org for a lodge near you. The Tri-Cities Military Affairs Council and AMVETS Post 37 is dedicated to supporting, encouraging, and advocating for military and veteran affairs in Northeast Tennessee as they relate to national defense and economic vitality of the area. TCMAC is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and are made up of many different organizations, AMVETS, Veterans of Foreign Wars, Vietnam Veterans of America, the American Legion, Employer Support for Guard and Reserve, Student Veterans of America, East Tennessee State University, and many others. Membership is open to any individual, firm, or organization. Please visit our website at www.tc-mac.org and download our membership application today. This is Joey King, 2nd Vice Commander for AMVETS Post 389 in Carthage. If you're ever around Carthage, Tennessee on the second Thursday of each month at 7 p.m., join us for one of our monthly meetings. We meet at the Turner School on Spring Street in Carthage. Post 389 does regular visits to the VA, including games of bingo. We do an annual raffle for a gun, which helps us raise funds for Post 389. We also do an annual coat drive and donate them to local homeless veterans. AMVETS and Post 389 in Carthage is all about veterans helping veterans. You can find us on Facebook and feel free to call our commander Johnny Edmonds with any questions about AMVETS or to sign up today. Call 615-489-7511. Don't forget to tell a friend about us and like us on Facebook. 
All right, welcome back to AMS Radio, show number 79, where our discussion is all about transitioning veterans. And joining us tonight is a former employee of the U.S. Vets. She's also an Army veteran. She's a friend of AMVETS Radio. We've got Sheila Scarborough on. You've also got the founder of TM Veterans, Carol Davidson. You also have the uh, Women's uh, Veterans Liaison for Indiana and also our uh, Indiana Correspondents for AMVETS, Vanessa Dillon. We have got, and it's funny, this is the thing, because for the last, I don't know how many shows, I've given these guys the wrong title, and they keep sending me a message, and I keep blowing it. So let me now recorrect. This is AMVETS DC Post 12 for First and second vice commander Orlando and Anton Thomas, Orlando Herrera and Anton Thomas. I don't know if Orlando's on, but I definitely know Antoine is. And Sheila, let's start with you. Our topic has been on transitioning veterans. We spent a couple shows talking about uh, getting jobs. That's what Carol does. Carol has a website called TM Veterans where he um, helps uh, veterans get jobs. He does resume building and things like that. So without further ado, the floor is yours, my dear. Oh, thank you, Perry. Um, I do have some updated news on U.S. Vets. Uh, they just lost a grant. Um, right now, um, um, VA uh, did an investigation on them, and they still haven't finished investigating them, but they did get their grant pulled. Uh, and that was uh, for the transitional housing that they have. So from what I heard is that they're trying to go to uh, medical building since they lost their grant. But they're still under investigation. They still have the vets over there. So they're really going to be cutting back on a lot of things um, that that the veterans they're staying there need. All right, guys, don't all speak up since your mics are on. Hello? Can you hear me, Perry? Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, okay. Okay, so I, I just thought I'd update you guys on that part of the transitional Sherman, housing. Sherman, we got gotcha. you. I'm still here. Okay, good. I, I just, well, okay, good. No problem. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so... Well, I'm sorry, you was talking about um, transition uh, once you get out of the military. And a lot of, t- I know when I got out, um, it wasn't a lot of good information for a lot of uh, veterans that were getting out. You know, it's almost like a future shot coming out of the military, especially if you've been in for a good long period of time and you are only mindsetted to doing things militarily and then you come out and try to get a job out in the civilian world and then it's like you hit a brick wall and then you try to figure out well what am I doing wrong this is my resume this is all I've done all my life you know in in the military and sometimes when you go to the workshops I notice that every workshop that I have been to they do resumes differently and so that tends to frustrate some of the veterans um, when they go to these workshops, you know. Hello? I can hear you. 
Oh, okay. I don't know where the guys went. <laughs> don't know where. Yeah, we're here. Gotcha. We're here. Well, you know I'm trying relate. to rest my voice. <laughs> I was waiting for the I can definitely relate to going to a workshop for uh, resumes and and getting frustrated when um, when I would the, when the kids and I were at um, a shelter when we were homeless, they uh, required everyone to go through these classes that was supposed to help you to find a job, you know, do a resume. And the presenter was so ill prepared on the class mm-hmm. in general that. I could have done a way better job and in the process of me going to those classes gave him tips and pointers on how to help these women that were at this shelter, which I did because that's, that's who I am. And that's the kind of thing that, that I do. It didn't do me any, any good as far as helping me to better my situation. Right. And I think that's the problem that we all run into because uh, I lived in transitional housing too and we had people that come and I mean, it's it's different, you know, it's different resumes. Once again, I feel like I done wrote a thousand different resumes, you know, and you know, the, the one that you do and, and you show it to the person that's giving the workshop, they'd be like, No, that's not that's not the correct way. So then they show you another way. And then you go to another workshop and you take that new uh resume to the workshop and they're like, No, you can't do it like that and it confuses people, you know, and a lot of people just, you know, just give up because it's like you going around in a circle and nothing is, is coming up with a straight answer. How is this resume supposed to be? Because a lot of companies are asking for one page. You know, you're told they're asking for one page, and then some are asking for two page. And then I was told for uh, USA is five pages. At one time, it used to be ten pages. And then you're just, like, confused. Can I make a comment about that? Sure. Absolutely. Hey, hey I was, uh, when I was executive director of uh, one of the major veteran service organizations, I, you know, I, I made a concerted effort to hire veterans, but I get this question all the time whenever we would do seminars and workshops, you know, what's the best way to write a resume? And I always tell them there's no one way that works. Um, when I look at a resume, I'm looking at the content. I want to know who you are and what you did and why you think you're qualified. So if, you, if you've got to do that in two pages or even one and you can do it succinctly, that's what matters. Uh, you know, we get these resumes where somebody puts it on this sort of parchment paper. They've got all kinds of decorated things around the border. And, you know, it's and, and they think they're saying, oh, say again? It's scented. <laughs> yeah, you know, or, you know, they obviously paid somebody or, 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 or you know, they put more effort into the the look of the resume instead of the content. Uh, I've hired people that, you know, maybe they've got a few bullets for each job they've held. Uh, but when they get the interview, that's what's going to win them over. So it's really about getting the interview. Sometimes I'll tell folks, do your research on the employer. I only read the first half of the resume. I typically make my decision before I get to the end of it because, you know, I, I look at too many resumes. There's just hundreds you can you can be sitting there looking at. You don't want to miss anybody, but uh, but definitely the, the work needs to go into the content and, and what you say and making sure it's accurate, spelled correctly, 
all the other stuff, I'd rather see words on a white piece of paper, one or two pages, and you know that that tell me who you are than anything. So I say that only because there's so much anxiety over how you do that, and there's no one way that works. Every employer is different. Um, right. That, that's the nature of, of of veteran transition. You know, there's no one way to transition. That's why the services have to be really customized and take into account who that veteran is as an individual, not some cookie cutter assembly line that does it the right. same way for every veteran. And, you know, I, I think. That. Oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I think we need to train the resume uh, facilitators on that Sherman because I think they go to the same school of go in. Uh, you know, this is the, the preferred way of how we were taught, so we're going to teach this to our veterans. But then you get all sorts of veterans from all sorts of walks of life, and these moderators are going from the same cookie-cutter sheet, and we need to retrain w the workforce that's teaching the veterans on what is the acceptable practice to actually structure their background so that no matter what interview environment they go in, they'll be prepared for that. I think that's a really mm -hmm. big problem across the board. It is. Two things Two things I want to add to that. This is Carol. Uh, number one is, you know, a resume is getting your foot in the door. If you listed out four pages of, you know, basically A to Z, we'll call it, and, you know, you're telling them everything, you're you're not leaving any kind of questions to have you come in for that interview, number one. Um, you know, number two is that resumes, yes, they're, they're exceptionally important, but I think Alex, he's been kind of quiet tonight. I know he's under the weather, but uh, Alex hit the nail on the head last week, and him and I kind of went back and forth. Sherman, I know you were in on the conversation, but uh, – you know, to have some uniformity, and, and again, doesn't matter what branch, but have all the MOSs listed, and then, of course, when you type it in, it transfers it over to the civilian, um, we'll call it wording, because, uh, again, if, if somebody, it, it doesn't matter what employer, if they've never served in the military, and again, you say 19 kilo, you say, you know, track, pull and pack, something, you lost them right there. So... You know, having that, we'll call it uniformity across all branches, and, you know, honestly, uh, I'm going to throw out a word that uh, I think is going to open up a can of worms, but is accountability. If we're sitting there, you know, and I say we, the, you know, the transitioning personnel that are giving the classes, if we're holding the, the soldiers and the transitioning veterans accountable to go to those classes – my question is, who's holding me accountable to make sure that I am providing them the most accurate information and making sure that I'm doing everything possible so when that person does exit the military that they are successful? Right. That would be my question. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it one step further. That's what I said at the beginning, Perry, is I, I mean, I, I deal with a lot of military installations, and I can tell you this right now that some are absolutely excellent. And, you know, uh, I'll just say one person's name, his first name, Greg. Uh, well, actually, Greg, Patrick, Sharon. 
Uh, I, I love those three to death. I mean, th- those are three really great people, all retired E8s and above, and you know that they just go above and beyond. But there's other locations I, I can't even get a response back. I can't even get you know a uh, an email back or a phone call or anything else. So you know, my question would be if we are held to you know a very very high accountability. You know why we served in the military. Who is holding those people accountable to train mm-hmm. and to communicate right. to all of the veterans getting out to make sure that you know that that they're going to be successful? Or you know, and, and take that another step further. You know, you can lead a horse to water. You can't make it drink. So you know, I get it that everybody is not going to to get the same out of it. But again, if it's uniformity. And, you know, there's a process and, you know, basically all branches are doing it the same way. I think that you would see a lot of the unemployment rate of veterans actually go down uh, just by doing something like that right there. And, again, that's that's my opinion. Can, can I say something also? Just like um, some of the uh, workforce um job employment places. Um, I have been to one up in Maryland and they have veteran reps that are supposed to assist the veterans. And I went up there, this was a few years back, I went up there and I had my resume on my thumb drive and um, the veteran rep was like, okay, I need you to go upload it on the machine. So I uploaded it on the machine and then the only instructions I was given was, okay, the ones with the flags on there, the jobs with the flags on there, those are veteran jobs. If you see one you like, you know, you know, go in and, you know, get the number and, you know, uh, let me know. But what I noticed is that it it doesn't help the veteran because you still left out there on your own because you're on this computer by yourself. The veteran um, rep goes back in the office, you know, and you're out there with everybody else, and you've done what you're supposed to do, and you're told, okay, we'll just wait. It's not like the old days when you would go into the unemployment, I mean, um, yeah, the unemployment job center, and you could sit down with that veteran rep, and he would go, he or she would go through those jobs. And if you saw some, if he saw some, or you saw some that related to your job skills, then they would contact that company, that person that is going to contact um, that they could call to let them know, hey, I got this veteran here. I want to send them over for an interview. We don't have Bingo. that no more since everything is so automation, and I think that's how we lose out on getting jobs. I really think they need to go back to the old way where you can, where a veteran can go in, talk to that rep, and sit down with that rep, and they go through those jobs together. Hey, this is I Carol. Think something... um, I, I agree with you 110%, and, you know, that's one thing that we do. So basically, just because we get a resume, we just don't shoot it off and say, you know, hey, uh, look at this or, you know, whatever. We are actually calling the person, you know, the when I say the person, the employer or potential employer, 
and uh-huh. going over basically the you know the background, the experience, uh, the room for growth. Because a lot of companies, and, and I'll tell you, back in the day when, when I was interviewing somebody, you know, let, let's just say I was interviewing somebody for a supervisor position, I was actually interviewing them for the manager position. And let, let's just say, you know, supervisor, manager, you know, right. chain of command. I always interviewed for one step further, and the reason for that is, is the person have potential for growth. Uh, right. That's just something that I did. But speaking, you know, what you just said, everything is automated now. Uh, you know, whether it's emails, whether it's social media, whether it's you know wh- whatever it is. And I, I personally think, you know, we we lost focus. I mean, you know, I can look back. We yeah. didn't have cell phones back in the in the eighties and you know the uh, the early nineties. And you know, if you wanted to talk to somebody, you pick the phone up and you call them. And now it's you can shoot an email, and you know I, I personally think that that we really lost a lot of uh, communication skills because you know you can shoot somebody a, a two line text or something like that compared to picking the phone up and you know basically saying hey Terry right. I want to talk to you about this right uh, if I could if I could just jump in there yes sir. Um, one, one thing I have to say is that there, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that deal with, you know, us veterans transitioning, but they don't know the military culture. So, you know, you have a, a lot of these civilians that, you know, are like, okay, have their particular job and they're supposed to help us veterans out, but they don't, they don't know the language, they don't know the culture, you know. They, they don't know how to bring us forward. So here it is. If I'm coming in with a, a, a resume that is, you know, got all these bullet points or whatever the case may be, based on my job description in the military, and this person, you know, who has no understanding of the military looks at it and says, well, I can't do nothing for you because I don't understand any of this stuff. Now, you know, we, you know, we both lose. You know, because the person doesn't understand the culture, and, I, and I'm not able to move forward in, in possibly getting an interview and possibly getting employment. And a, a lot of this takes place not only with employment, but then you also can look at the VA. You can also look at those that are in transitional housing. Uh, you know, there's a lot of places that are like that. You know, so it, it comes down to... Uh, the folks have to learn the military culture. And we're going to have, you know, within the next few years, you know, at least close to 200,000 veterans, you know, that are transition. So it's like, okay, we're supposed to help you, you know, folks out. All that's left is one veteran to another veteran to help each other out because who else is going to go ahead and do it? That's true. That's a great point because, you know, if you've, it, it's that old saying, you know, been there, done that. And when you can comprehend, uh, you know, what they're saying and automatically, you know, and again, it really doesn't, uh, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but, you know, 
that all branches, you know, you're, you're still a military vet, and understanding, you know, what they did in the military, and you know, you can look at an MOS, and you can really, um, in my opinion, you can define what they did in the military. And, you know, we talked about it uh, a couple of shows ago, and uh, you know, basically, if somebody was a, you know, a 19 kilo, which is a tanker. And but they had the training NCO, they had basically the motor pool, they had supply, you know that. And, and Alex, I remember him saying that has logistics and operations wrote all over it. Uh, you know, so I, I agree basically that you have some people out there that do not know anything about the military um, that are trying to find veterans' jobs that uh, you know in careers that. That honestly, you know, it, it, in my opinion, some of them and some of them have good hearts and they're and they're really trying. And, and for those people, great, thank you. But then there's also people out there that you know it's all about a number. And you know, if it's about a number, then you know you're in the wrong profession if you don't understand the military. Right, and for that, we're left to our own devices. You know, to go ahead and, and search for things for ourselves, or if not, just give up altogether. Which leads to all sorts of other things you know, that we have brought up, you know, we have brought up on this show many times. You know, which you go ahead and lead to suicide, you go ahead and lead to destruction, homelessness, you know, all sorts of things. Yeah. And the one thing that I feel that every veteran wants when they're transitioning coming out is to have employment. You know, at least at, at the very least, at the very least, to have employment, and then you know, then everything else will go ahead and fall into place. You know, if they want to go to school, if they want to go ahead and open up their own, but at least if they could go ahead and go from, um, you know. From veteran to now to citizen to uh, you know having employment to having money in their pocket to you know taking care of their family you know X Y and Z then a lot of this stuff gets to be removed you know, you know that's, that's on the, on the negative, negative side of things. Now, just so you know, Orlando, uh, I've got your 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 mic on. Um, and I have a feeling you were probably sharing the same room as Antoine, correct? Yeah, he's on his headphones, and I'm on my cell phone. Okay, well, I just turned your mic on. I turned his mic off because you guys were in the same room or together somewhat. There was a really bad echo. So part oh, of okay. what you just said I didn't get. Did you guys hear what he said, or should we have him Uh-oh. repeat that? Okay, I apologize, Orlando, but go ahead and 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 rephrase what you just stated. Well, you know, it, it comes down to that we're left around devices where you know we have to go ahead and you know there has to be qualified people, competent qualified people to go ahead and help us, you know, us veterans, you know, when we transition out. I mean, we're gonna have in the next few years close to two uh, two hundred thousand veterans you know, hit the streets of this nation. And it's it's going to be a, a bit crazy out there because everybody's going to want employment. Everybody's going to want to, you know, take care of their family. They're going to, you know, if, if it doesn't happen because they're being frustrated because we have uh, Mike that, that doesn't know the, the culture and the language, you know, 
trying to go ahead and help out a veteran, and he might have good intentions, but, you know, it doesn't work out, then what happens to that veteran? He gets frustrated. He'll try it again. He gets frustrated, and before you know it, things are not working out at home. You know, uh, all sorts of things can go ahead and go wrong on the on the negative side. So what, you know, it, it's it's a matter of just having – you know, the right people, and not only at employment centers, but at the VA hospital, at transitioning, you know, transitional housing programs, you know, everywhere that a, a veteran could go to, there should be somebody there as a liaison that knows the culture, you know, and, but we're not going to get that. So we sort of have to, you know, it's, a, it's almost like a roll of the dice, Yeah. Now, and, one of the persons... You know, one of the persons that I haven't heard from yet is Dan Koob, and I'm wondering, Dan, um, I know you just got back from your meeting, but I didn't know if there was anything you wanted to add to the conversation. Well, when we deal with mostly veterans that are coming out of the military, within, you know, right out of the military, and we tell them to look in the blue pages, and you have six months to apply for any federal job, and they have to give you a special test within 30 days of applying for that job. And, of course, around here we have TVA, then we have, of course, the Postal Service, which are their two main federal employees over here in this area. The transitional veterans that are older than that, we refer them to the college and they have, you know, job openings over there, or they have resources where they can have them go to different companies and to look for employment. And we also have job fairs over here a lot. And that's what we do. Well, you know, I, I look at, you know, in I don't know, somebody could correct me if I'm wrong, but I look at, you know, for example, the job fairs. They're more, even though they're, they're for veterans, they say they're for veterans. But, you know, in speaking to a lot of these employers, and I've been to a, a few of these, uh, um, you know, job fairs, they're more civilian-based, you know. Because if I come in and I'm saying, okay, well, this is what I did in the military, um, you know, and this is what I've done since the military, you know, they're not going to look at my military. They're just going to look at what I've done since the military. Okay, fine. But if you're just coming out and all you know is the military and you're trying to apply for a job, that becomes a problem because how am I supposed to go ahead and convince this person that I'm qualified based on the culture and the language that I know that they don't know? I understand, but around here, it's very pro-military. We have a lot of veterans in this area. Our companies, we have um, Amazon, and we have GE, we have Wacker, and all those employers look at the military background. And my feeling is they give a preference if you're a veteran over here. But it may not be the same in your area. Understandable, and I applaud you for that. Yeah, because not all areas will go ahead and do that. You know, they want the most qualified person. 
Sometimes it uh-huh. might not be that veteran. And and even though that veteran needs the job more than that college graduate, you know, just finished getting a degree, you know, so it's um, go ahead, Sheila. I'm sorry. That that is true because um when they have the job fair for the veterans at the convention center downtown in DC, when you go in you you know, and they tell everybody to bring plenty of resumes. Okay, you go in you got a bunch of people behind laptops. They take your information. They look at your DD-214. It goes into a system. And then they send you up. They send you upstairs to go to some of the other booths that are hiring. And as he said, a lot of them want, you know, degrees. You know, you got to have this degree or that degree. But you probably worked in that field when you was in the military but you just don't have that degree for it. So a lot mm-hmm. of times when you, when you go and you say, uh, here's my resume, they'll say, here's, my, here's our card, go online and upload your resume and send it to our website. And that's it. And, and then most of the vet, uh, veterans that go to the job fair, you know, are being told, you know, take your resumes because you could be hired on the spot. They, they're going to do interviews on the spot. You might have, I know I went to one, they had like about two, three out of 100 booths that did an uh, interview that day because I did one. And I got picked at 12, and I didn't get an interview until 630 that night, but it was only for one position. And a lot of times they come, they have one or two positions that that all these people can apply for. Well, I understand becomes, that every area is different. And every area, every area is different. And yeah. around around Tennessee, we don't have a higher as high of a percentage of college graduates as the northern states. There's no doubt about it. And down here, they look at the veterans' qualifications, and when they do the interviews and the hiring on the spot. And that's good. I wish it was across the board, you know, all over like that. If everybody was on the same sheet of music when they uh, do these job fairs for veterans, you know. All you know, the states to come together and say, "Hey, you know, disperse out to these companies that are looking to hire vets, send their representatives, so that everybody can be on the same, you know, same sheet of music." So you get a lot of bad. I know in D.C. they get a lot of bad feedback because nobody gets hired that day. You know, you got people lined up waiting to go inside the convention center and to, you know, talk to some of the reps and stuff, but they're not, you know, they're not making any progress. And and that's the issue for our younger veterans. Would they be willing to move to make a change in, in where they live so they can get hired? Right. Well, I mean, you know, you have you have to look at you have to look at familiarity uh, for that particular you know veteran. 
Um, you know, their family might be, you know, uh, um, in one particular area, you know, in this country, and that's all they know, and that's what, you know, they are, are used to, even when they come back, you know, on leave and, and things of that nature. So for them to go elsewhere, away from their family, that's a big decision for them to make. It's almost as though, you know, like when they went ahead and signed the papers to go ahead and, you know, and join the military. It's a big decision. Um, you know, it, it's, for every veteran, it's going to be different, you know, because the situations are different. You know, some may already have families, but here it is. If they're in Oregon, for example, and not much is happening there, but here it is a lot more is happening in Tennessee for them. Okay, are we willing to go ahead and make that transition to Tennessee? And, you know, how long will it take? And, you know, what we are, you know, are we going to be able to go ahead and, and make the, you know, the transition well and not go through any hurdles and things like that? You know, there's a lot of questions that come up, you know, behind that. I mean, those that are adventurous to go ahead and do it, like myself, not a problem. You know, but not everybody could go ahead and, and you know, and I could say can do that. You know, they're, you know, used to either one area, you know, where they lived all their lives, you know, and, and family have grown up there and probably their kids are there and their mom and dad and so on and so forth. So, you know, it, it gets to be kind of tough. I mean, good question. And and there'd be a good number that'll probably make that jump, but you'll find a lot that won't. If I could add to that, Carol, I want to add one thing to that. You know, number one, uh, great topic. But one thing that I see a lot of is at certain military bases, and let's just use Fort Hood as an example. Fort Hood, Texas, if they have a job fair. I'd say probably 95% of all of the companies that are there at that job fair are recruiting just for Texas. So let's say that you have a veteran that wants to move to um, Kansas City, Kansas, uh, or Kansas City, Missouri, doesn't matter. Uh, How many companies actually come all the way from Kansas City to Fort Hood to set up you know, and, and talk to uh, to transitioning veterans that are getting out about the opportunities that are at Kansas City? And the answer is very, very little. And it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm using Fort Hood as an example. You know, I've seen it at, uh, you know, Fort Benning. I have seen it at Fort Bragg. I have seen it at uh, Fort Stewart. I've seen it at Hood. I've seen it at Carson. You know, all, and I'm not going to say all, but, I mean, the vast majority of all the companies, they are right around that military post or that state. Um, you know, you just don't have a lot of them. I mean, I was very surprised to see uh, at uh, Fort Campbell, uh, you actually saw DPS, Department of Public Safety for Texas, that was doing recruiting there, which I thought was yes, sir. You know, awesome. So that was absolutely fantastic. But, you know, the, the point that I'm making is that, a lot of the companies, you know, they're not traveling to the other bases. They're only traveling to the closest one to do the recruiting. And I think that they are missing out veterans at these other posts that want to move back. And, you know, uh, I think it was Sherman that was talking, that was talking about, you know, that they had friends and families and, you know, they were already set up in certain areas. Well, maybe they want to move back to that area, but they're at, uh, 
you know, Fort Stewart, but let's say they're moving back to San Antonio, Texas. I mean, how how many companies from San Antonio, Texas are going to come to, uh, you know, Fort Stewart to basically attend the job fairs for positions that they have opened? And I think that's another, you know, uh, something that can that can definitely, you know, be improved on. Mm-hmm. Well, you no, know what I, I think could really be improved on is uh, there's not enough realists at these exit briefs. <laughs> and let me clarify that. There's not enough realists who will say, when you get out, you're going to have some troubles. You're going to struggle. You, you might have struggling with some mental health issues. You might have struggling with PTSD. You might have it with physical injuries you sustained. You might have marital issues that come along with the transition. You might have financial issues that come along with the transition. I don't see those people at these briefs. I don't know about you guys, but there was nobody there that kind of came in like a drill sergeant and we got to basic and told us, oh, you think you know what this is going to be like? Let me wake you up today. <laughs> I want to add one thing to that right there. And, Alex, that's a, <laughs> that is a fantastic assessment right there because, you know, you, you have a lot of veterans that are getting out. And let's call it like we see it, okay? They're E5, the grass is greener. You know, a captain, something. And <laughs> you, you have a lot of them. and you know, God forgive me for what I'm about to say, but they think that you owe them a living just because you have that veteran, um, or you, you serve the country. And you know what? Thank you for serving the country. You know, I appreciate that, but I don't owe you anything. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, you have the entitled you know, ones I'm, I'm that come out a and bit further. I think that there should be a briefing that should be called reality check. Because mm-hmm. uh, there should be uh, again, the reality <laughs> yeah. is I don't care if Perry is getting out and he's a sergeant major and Carol's getting out and he's a PFC or a specialist. We will have the same rank once we get out. And that is a veteran. Now, granted, mm-hmm. Perry yeah. may have more experience than Carol. That's fine. But our rank, when we get out, we are a veteran. And that is one thing that I you know, I guarantee I haven't seen it. And again, I, I visit a lot of installations, and you know, for the most part, they do a fantastic job. But they should do a reality check, and that's the way that the conversation should start off. Is nobody owes you a living. You gotta, you know, it's just like coming in the military. Nobody came in the military a, uh, you know, a full bird colonel or came in an E7. You know, we had to work for that. And so, mm-hmm. when you go into the civilian world, guess what? You're, you're. I'm not going to say you're starting over because you're not starting over in that aspect, but you are starting over. But some are because you're starting a new career. So it is. But, a reality but you see, check. you have a lot of people getting out too, Carol, and I'm glad you touched on the entitlement process because there are some people that get out. I actually had this conversation with a couple friends of mine. Out of probably about 15 to 30 people, I got out of the army with at the same time. Only four right. of us have you know, stuff going for us at this time, because you get a lot of people that come out and they see a job is beneath them. You know, you've got that complacency that comes along with, I was a a team leader. I was a section sergeant. I was, you know, I was the commander of a battalion and they get out and they see these jobs that are offered to their qualifications because some of them, let's be honest, this is the only job they've had since high school. Mm -hmm. They get out and they see that that these jobs are available and then that some people say, like, okay, let's say, you know, Sar- Sergeant Tom gets out tomorrow, 
and you know all the qualifications he has leads up to probably about a, a you know a minimum wage if not a little bit better job oh no i deserve a little bit more than that listen i busted my butt for the uncle sam all these years i deserve better than that it's what you're qualified for man <laughs> well let, let's take it one step further on this you know i mean i've had people that say that i have a uh you know i won't use the language but it starts with an s job and you know mm-hmm. s h and we'll just leave it at that and i'll say you don't have a clue of what you know a, a crap uh, job I'm, is. i'm going to use the word a bad job is and they mm-hmm. said well what do you mean and i said well try removing a bucket pouring mo gas and stirring uh we'll just say different things in uh kuwait with uh you know about rodent problems and everything else so whenever you think you got a bad job you know i mm-hmm. literally did that and i was an e5 and I did that a mm-hmm. lot of times so my soldiers could sleep because I knew for a fact that they'd been up 25, 30 hours. And so I went out and knocked it out. And it, it wasn't because it was, you know, I was going to, you know, wake up PFC such and such because he's a private and I'm a sergeant. And, uh, you know, it's beneath me. You know, it, it's that team. It's that leadership and it's things. So don't tell me that you had a bad job. Uh, or you have a bad job when, uh, you know, honestly, you don't have a clue of what a bad job is. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the, the fact of the matter that some vets that are getting out who got out because their spouse is pretty much out of the military or I'm leaving you. That happens more than people would think. That you've had, your, right. you know, you and your day. spouse have moved – Oh, yeah. You move around day after day after day, and your spouse just wants to settle down, not worry if you're going to come home or not, and says, listen, you, you've done three, four, five tours. I'm tired of moving our family around. I'm tired of worrying if you're going to go overseas again, and if you're going to come back, you either get out or, or we're done. And some vets get out, and they do that, but they don't get out with a plan. They get out just to save their marriage, and that happens both male and female vets. They get out to save huh. their marriage. And then next thing you know, the grass isn't as green because those same problems that were happening in that relationship are still there. Now you've just piled on and confounded to that because now you have to find a way to support housing. You have to find a way to pay for food. You're not getting that BAH anymore. You're not getting that BAS anymore. There's not a steady first and the 15th paycheck coming in anymore. Now you're out there, you're looking for a job, and you you may not want to do, like we said, that bad job that you feel like is beneath you. Now you're adding on to that issue. Like that's part of that reality. Like that's part of that transition. I think you hit the nail on the head on one thing right there is that I'm going to throw a number out there and I'll tell you what, I I would like to see what y'all's number is. I'll go ahead and tell you my number first, but I would say about the the ratio is about 85% to 15%, 15% of military personnel that are getting out I personally think have got a game plan. I think the mm-hmm. 85% do not have a game yeah. plan, and they want to go through transition. And during the transition, you know, when they when they are starting, you know, a cap or they're starting their, you know, their tap or whatever, when they're they're starting to say, well, what do I want to do? But I, I mean, I, I would literally say 15%. Uh, and, and I definitely would like to hear what Sherman thinks uh, about that, and Alex also. Well, first of all, Sherman had to jump off because he had another meeting to go to, but he did okay. send me a message thanking the guys for uh, being a part of it, and uh, he was uh, he felt very, very happy about the conversation. So, 
Alex, what would you, uh, what yeah. would you say as far as a ratio? What would you think? <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I think it's higher than that. I think 95% don't have a game plan when they get out. And when I say they don't have a game plan, there's you break it down into several subsects. You have ones that actually came in, like myself. I came into the Army with a master's degree. Right. Now, I came in with a master's degree. I knew I could fall back on that. I knew that I would be able to find something, and I knew I was getting medically retired. So I knew that there was some sort of something that was going to be able to fall back on. So it wasn't technically a game plan, but I had fallback options. So I would say I fell into that category. You have right. the ones that come in and say, well, I had jobs before the Army. I could just go back to that, come to low and find out they don't have a job there anymore. That company shut down or so on and so forth. There's, I would say it's about 95%. If you want to talk about an actual game plan, this is what I'm going to do. This is how it's going to happen. This is what I'm going to have to do to achieve that, and I'm ready to do that. I would say about 5% of service members have that. Well, I agree with Ladies, Alex. What, uh, I, I what would, would y'all say? say? Oh, Dan, I, you were saying I something? What, um, considering young people, especially your young men and women, um, that might, you know, go in for one term and, and go overseas and come back and they get out, but they don't have no job ready when they get out. So I have to agree with him on that if if we're looking at the younger um, population. So you're saying well, they're treated like college. Huh? They treat it like college. I mean, look at the the, the normal, you know, term of, of a college education is generally four years. So here it is in four years, you know, mm-hmm. you're doing, you know, you're getting your education with what you think is a game plan on your way out. And you, you know, you nine times out of 10, you wind up with nothing. Well, it's the same thing when you're going into the military and you're doing that, you know, that four year mm-hmm. term you know, or less, you're going in and it's the same thing. You're just doing the same thing day in and day out without even thinking. So now is that time, okay, uh, you want to re-enlist or you want to get out? And, right. of course, that young person is going to go ahead and say, well, I'm going to go ahead and get out. Now what are you getting out to? Joey yeah. on and the then you got to think the when they, And you got to think, when they get out, how much time do they really have to get that game plan? Because – between the time that you make that decision, I'm getting out, and that time to when it's you're actually out, it's probably about 30 days, 30 to 60 days. Uh-huh. You, uh-huh. you know, unless you're like getting medically retired or you or you made Bye. your mind up within the first month of your enlistment that you this was not for you. Right. <laughs> There's not enough you know, time to make problem, a game plan. The problem that is going on right now that a lot of people, you know, we, we talked about it briefly. Uh, Alex, uh, it was either last week or the week before, but one of the problems right now is that if you are non-deployable for, you know, one year, then they're chaptering you out. And there are mm-hmm. so many people that are getting out right now that, you know, I've seen it. I've seen basically people six months. I've seen people three weeks. And when I say three weeks, okay, you're getting chaptered and paperwork automatically uh, was signed, everything else. You have three weeks to find out what you want to do. And so, right. um, and I don't know, know about you, but how many of us were flagged because of our dental status? <laughs> yeah. yeah I if you were deployed <laughs> and you missed that dental, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, but we can't get you in for another six months. 
we can't get right. you in for another six months to get you back to, to green status, but I'm so sorry. Your, your term is coming up on the one year non-deployable here soon. Yeah. You know, yeah, God, God there, forbid you're flagged because you missed your hearing. <laughs> right. There's, you know, there's a lot of moving parts in that, but if you look at it from a 50,000 view, you know, mm-hmm. if they say that you're not deployable for one year and you're out, you know, all of us on this call, you know, know that, you know, if you want somebody, if you want somebody chaptered, or I, I think everybody knows this, you know, if you want somebody chaptered, mm-hmm. you walk through and usually, you know, I, I've seen it get done in two days. I've done. I've it seen it done days. in a day. So I've seen okay. it done in a day. I, I, two. I've seen it done in hours. <laughs> so, so all of yeah. us have seen that basically as fast as you know they want. But then you've got other ones that the process may take more time and, you know, everything else. But, you know, again, I've walked Like you've, you've got days. soldiers like me who I, I was getting going through the med board process. So going through that med board process from the second initiates, you've probably got three to six months before it's completed. Right. And then, let, and then add another month on for the, the ACAP and then the pushing out portion. So you've got about seven months there to, to make that plan, but you have those people who are also hopeful because of programs like COAD, that they're going to do everything that they possibly can to try to stay in. And instead of focusing their efforts on what their transition plan may be, they're focusing on trying to stay in with that unrealistic expectation. That's, that's, a, that's a fantastic statement and could not say it any better. Um, you know, and if you think about seven months, just think about where you were seven months ago, and you can probably – you'll probably say, well, that seems like yesterday. If you, it really and, does. And all realistic, <laughs> it, it really was yesterday almost. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, seven months go by quick, fast, and in a hurry. So, you know, it goes back to what I said, what First Sergeant McGall always used to tell me, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Meaning get your game plan together. And so, you know, when you start looking at seven months, you start looking at one year – uh, that goes by quick, fast, and And then you also have to look at the culture of the military. I mean, you had a you had a, a sergeant asking you what you wanted to be when you grew up. I don't know about the rest of you, but high, nothing changed from high school and college into the military. It was still a high school quick mentality. You had the people in your platoon that the sergeant liked and he didn't like. You had the people you got along with and you didn't get along with. It was very much a high school and college mentality in the military. So you're asking people to grow up when you're perpetuating the same mentality you have in high school. You're not pushing the real world onto these people. Now, was it different for anybody else? (laughs) No, I mean, here it is. I went in at 17, and I was on the delay entry program because I finished school early. And I was like, okay, fine. Let me go ahead and go in. Um, mm-hmm. The one good thing for me was that my recruiter let me know exactly what I was going to face. Mm-hmm. Okay, from from the first day I got there to the day of graduation, he let me know everything that I was going to go through. So I am thankful for that. But not everybody gets that. Okay, so here it is when you go in, you know, of course, you're going to be terrorized going in, you know, by your drill instructors. I was in the Marine Corps, so we get terrorized. That's it. You know, we we get off that bus and, 
you know, the decibels of them screaming are ferocious, which some of us are not used to. You know, we want to yell back. We can't yell back. We want to go ahead and, mm-hmm. and put our hands on the person for screaming at us. We can't go through all that. And so here it is, you know, it's sort of a shock treatment that, you know, this, you know, this young man or woman has to go through. And it's like, okay, do I want this? But what they don't understand and because it's not told to them that this is to prepare you for when you come out because this is mm-hmm. what you're going to go through. This is what's there. And the I, intensity of screaming might not be there, but somebody being in your face because you're not, you know, you're not um, producing at the job or you came in late or whatever the case may be, there's going to be folks out there. You have to be part of a team. You have to, you know, yeah. yes, you could be an individual, but then, you know, being an individual only leads to specific things that are assigned to you. You know, there's always an assignment. There's a, You know, there's all sorts of things, but a lot of these kids don't get to, you know, know that. They just jump in thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in and I'm going to do my four years so that way I can go ahead and get my college paid for. Great. Mm-hmm. That is your plan going in. But what <laughs> is your plan during that time and coming out? Hey, the best and laid then, plans of mice know, and men never make it past for first contact. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's like, exactly. So it's like, you know, so, so when you, you know, so, I mean, going back to the whole transition piece, you know, that this, uh, this whole show is about, go, you know, you go through all those steps. And then you come out, then what? Now I got to go ahead and, and, you know, figure out, okay, what do I do? Some of my, some of my friends have gone in and gotten out, you know, within a year, they're back in. Mm-hmm. They're back in. They're like, uh-uh, no, I can't do this. I got to go back mm-hmm. in. And if, of course, the Marine Corps didn't and let those them are back the lucky in, ones. some other service was going to let them. And that's the you lucky know. ones who can get back in. Right. You know, because it's like, um, you know, what do I do now? I mean, I'm out here a year. This is crazy. You know, I mean, I had a friend of mine that just came out, and he had not been home in the four years that, you know, he was in the military because he spent most of his time overseas and so on and so forth. Came back, everything had changed. It was like, what the hell is this? Mm -hmm. You know, and he freaked out, and he was like, no, 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 no. And he went back in. And he got himself stationed overseas because he got used to being overseas. He didn't want to come back home because he didn't like the change. It's like I say, it's it's like a future shock when you get out. Because you've been, like me, I've been in, I was in for 26 and a half years. So coming out, retiring, I'm like, okay, so what do I do now? How do I do this resume? You know, how do I make it fit? You know? Mm-hmm. It's scary. It's scary. And, and I even talked to some vets today that have been out of the military, and a lot of them, are, they're in my age group. I'm 61. And they'd be like, you know, I wish I was back in. Oh, it, it's kind of like. Huh? <laughs> I think he said you don't even look that old. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, oh, I, oh, okay, you heard me. No, yeah. well, she of course, is a compliment. I mean, you don't even look 61. Jeez. No, no, I don't. <laughs> but, you know, you're so used to the military. You're used to doing things, you know, systematically one way, and then when you come out and you, and you do find a job in the civilian world and you be like, 
what in the world are they doing? I mean, they're not using any thinking. You know, we always do strategy thinking when we're in the military. I find that the civilian world doesn't do that. You know, no, they, and but you also have to think we're well, in the civilian world. Like during my military career, and it comes back to about growing up. I mean, you yeah. know, you have people who get right out of high school, come into the military. I've had E sixes, E sevens in their early to mid twenties. You know, I, uh-huh. I I I don't know about you, but who do you know in your early to mid twenties who's done who's gotten to the point where they're fully matured? Right. You know, and it's somewhat <laughs> out of a necessity that you have to try to. But you've got E6s, E7s in their early to mid-20s, you know, and... And they're still young. And they're still young. Exactly. They they haven't fully... You know, they've probably lived more in life than most people, but the fact Uh of the matter is is they still haven't grown in life. And and you've got them coming out, and you have them coming out because they're in their E6s, E7s, and they're getting out of the military young, whether it's due to injury, whether it's due to early separation, whether it's that there's not enough slots in their MOS, whether they've been non-deployable too long. And you've got them coming out, and they don't really know much about life. They're still not grown up yet. And I mean, and I can say the same thing. I got out at 26. I medically retired. I hadn't grown up in life yet. You know, and, mm-hmm. and and you see that a lot. You expect these people, you know, you expect service members to get out and, and be fully functioning adults in society. Now, I'm not trying to disparage our veteran basis, you know, but the mm-hmm. fact is, is I, I think the expectations are set higher than the preparedness is. The level of preparation for that expectation is just not there. And that's on every front that you could possibly imagine with getting out of the military, whether it's writing a resume, getting a job, going to college and getting, figuring out what you want to be, you know, whether it's going to a trade school, whether it's dealing with your relationships in a healthy manner, you know, mm-hmm. look at the divorce rate of the military. Oh my God. You want to, you want to see what's where a lot of people go wrong. I, I bet you every single person on this yeah. phone call could raise their hand and say that they knew at least two service members who got married just for the pay. I do. And saw that marriage <laughs> go down the tubes within a year. I saw oh. that in basic training. That, I saw that in basic training. You know, everybody falls in love in basic training. And then, this, mm-hmm. you know, they get married. And it was mm-hmm. for the pay. And then how you know, and then you have the vets who, you know, meet one girl and they're like, "Oh, this is the girl for me." And you have everybody in their friends group saying, "Listen, man, you've known the chick for a month. You met her at a strip club. I really don't think this is the love of your life." Right. <laughs> you know, you were- if if I had a if I had a dollar for every you know service member I knew that fell in love with a stripper. You know, I, I I'd be a rich man by now. I wouldn't have to be worrying about a transition plan. <laughs> exactly, and I I think yeah. the 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 changes in the military throughout the years. I know when I came, I went in the military. I went in nineteen eighty one, and so everything every <laughs> everything was a lot harder back then. You know, and mm-hmm. then as the years came, it got a lot easier. You know, with the kids that were in basic and in the 
the 2000, uh, early 2000, they could hold up stress signs and stuff like that. We didn't have that. We had to take it, you know. Oh, yeah. I remember we the army where you could lay hands on another soldier just to resolve your issues. Our office didn't, there was not anything that went on in our platoon office other than two people who were angry at each other, taking off their rank and beating the bloody hell out of each other. And, until and that, that, was called, submitted. Uh, that was called wall-to-wall counseling. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, or go to the bear pit and just do some combatives until you're tired and you like each other again. You know, I mean, how many, how many of us, how many of us, you know, had bay showers? <laughs> yeah. You know, now you're seeing basic training units have individual showers that you have to wait in line for because, you know, people got too offended by showering in a mass group. True. But see, when I came in, we had big showers. uh, We had bunk beds Mm -hmm. and big showers. You know, we was in Hollywood. That was in South Carolina. That was when they first built the brick barracks, as opposed Mm -hmm. to Tank Hill, where they had the wood barracks that didn't have air conditioning in in the summertime. They Mm -hmm. had two big fans, one on one end, one on the other. But then, it's just like I said, you know, through the years, they, they improved a lot of stuff, but they didn't give, they didn't give these young kids the, the same type of training that the old school had, you know. And I think the old school training was a lot better because it made you a lot strong-minded back then, mm-hmm. you know. And... It benefits you a lot. You know, You it taught you to think outside of the box and stuff, you know, because you have to. If you're working with a team, you know, you don't want your team going out there getting blown up, so you think outside of the box. You come together as a team and think outside of the box. How are we going to do this? How are we going to make it through? Just like earlier I heard the, um, the, the man said uh, about the Marine training. Now, now, I've been through the course down there at uh, Quantico, you know, where you got to take this heavy, this heavy uh, dummy across some water, mm-hmm. you know. And so you come together as a team, you know, everybody inputs their ideas into how we're going to get this body across that water, you know. That's thinking. But through the years, they got so easy on these these young kids. So that, therefore, their minds are really not maturing um, like they should be, you know, from baby to a grown man now, or from baby to a grown woman now, you know. Yeah. They don't, they don't well, have one that. Thing, add one thing to well, that, you know, when Carol, the stress Carol, one, one second, Carol. We, we've got a few minutes left on our show. We're coming up to eight minutes left on our show. Um, it, it's coming close to closing remarks. Carol, I'm going to let you finish your sentence real quick, but one thing on a closing end, I'd like to know probably what the hardest thing for a female veteran in transition was. I'm going to let you finish first, Carol, and then we'll go to Vanessa and we'll go to our, our, uh, our other female guest. Sheila. I'm so sorry. Sheila. Miss Sheila. Sheila. We're going to, we're going to go to Miss Sheila and then we're going to, we're going to, and probably on that. I would like to know that. Six minutes left. Go ahead real quick. Yeah, the only thing I was going to say is, you know, when you could really see the changes in the military when they started incorporating stress cards. And it sounds mm-hmm. like all of us, I'm, I'm going to say, are old school. 
And, yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine giving Drill Sergeant <laughs> Johnson, who is who is my drill sergeant, and I might add she, uh, I can't even imagine handing her a uh, stress card and basically saying you're stressing me out. Yeah, exactly. Because I guarantee you she would have taken me behind the building. So exactly. uh, that right there I, I truly believe was a turning point basically as far as the training that went from old school to more of a an HR mentality. So that's mm-hmm. just what I was yeah. going to say on that, but I'm, I'm interested uh, what you asked on the other part, Alex. Ms. Sheila, what would you say was the hardest part of transitioning as a female veteran? Uh, my, uh, when I retired? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay, when I came, uh, when I retired, I came out, um, I went to apply for unemployment, which I got penalized because my unit hadn't processed my DD-214 within the time limit that the unemployment needed it. So for two months, I, I didn't receive any any kind of uh, unemployment. And it was a struggle, you know, because I had to pay rent, um, didn't have food, had to go to Salvation Army. I had children, um, a couple of kids uh, younger then. And it, it was hard. It, it was hard. And it, it was like there was no help out there for me. Whichever way I went, it wasn't no help for me, you know. And that was one of the holdbacks. Uh, with the unemployment uh, penalizing not only mm-hmm. myself, but I heard other vets said they got penalized because they didn't turn their 214 in, um, present a copy to unemployment in the time limit that they wanted. But it wasn't their fault. It was the unit fault because they had units that was overseas that they were working with. In my case, my unit was working with another unit. You know, and they was right. coming back. So I was on the back burner, you know. So I got penalized for two months because of that. I'm sorry and to I'm hear that. Didn't they didn't care. You know, they didn't care they did. that I had kids. They didn't care that I had to pay rent. They couldn't give me, offer me any other kind of advice. That was my hardest part. Vanessa, what about you? Oh, okay. Um, so you got to understand that when I got out, I was still overseas. I was still in Germany. I was there until the next year when we came back stateside. Um, my military experiences, training, and certifications did not translate to the civilian world. Was not acceptable. So I was told, "You want to go into the field that you were working in before? You have to start all over." Mm-hmm. Not translatable. I'd say that was probably the the biggest blow um, when I got back stateside. Well, see, guys, we've talked about a lot of wonderful things today. We talked about a lot of the plagues that we have transitioning with our military veterans. And we've also come up with ideas and solutions to not only help change that process, but help veterans that are going through it. And I think that's what AMVETS Radio is about is we talk about these things because if nobody's talking about them, nothing's getting done. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Uh, as the co-host, I'm going to turn it back to Perry right now. 
so we can give us our closing. I'd like to say thank you to everybody who's been on the show today and everybody who's been listening. And one last time, happy birthday, Ron Bottomley. That's it, and guys, again, I appreciate you taking the time tonight. You know, we could not do this without our supporters. Thank you so much to Ambets Georgia and Ambets Florida and Ambets California and Ambets Arkansas and, of course, Ambets Tennessee for making it possible. Thank you to all the Ambets correspondences who all throughout the week find news articles and things to share, and we could not do this without you guys. So look forward to next week. i got a couple guests that I'm going to be bringing on with different topics. Uh, I don't know if we, we might uh, discuss this a little bit, but outside of that, um, we'll have to see what happens. But uh, thank you guys for joining Ambits Radio tonight, show number 79. It's October 9th, 2018, and uh, I just want to end with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for the show. Thank you for the technology. Thank you for the funds that make it possible. Father, I pray that the words that we talk here tonight will be encouraging for those listening. And I just thank you so much for all that you do, and I love you. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Guys, until next time, thank you so much. Love you. Be good. If you need anything, you know where to find us on AmvetsRadio at gmail.com. And we will see you guys next week at the same time, 7 p.m. Central Standard. On behalf of all the uh, correspondences and everyone for the Amvets Radio, we will see you soon. Thank you so much.